With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets, sports, and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode coming to you after the New York Jets fall 28-34 to to the Los Angeles Chargers to go to 0-10 on the season. The New York Jets now have double-digit losses and are officially the first team to be eliminated from playoff contention. That's right. Spoiler alert. These New York Jets will not be making the playoffs this year. Yeah, so that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. I think we all knew it was coming. But in the last two weeks, with Joe Flacco playing quarterback, the New York Jets have actually played more competitive football. A better game against the Patriots, a bye week, and a decent game in this one. Both games, they had a chance at the end to drive down the field and win. Now, many fans are hoping that the New York Jets lose at this point. Just go all in. You're already out of the playoffs. Just make sure you lock up that first valuable overall pick in the draft. But play good football. 28 points for the Jets is actually pretty good. We've got a minus 153-point differential this year with 149 points for 302 points against. So with 153-point spread in 10 games, average losing by 15, you lose by 6. And you score 28 points, four offensive touchdowns, should have been more, a couple of missed extra points. But I don't think you can be too unhappy with that result. Sure, we were playing a bad, at the time, 2-7 and seven Chargers team. But, you know, it could have been much worse. We watched some decent football. As the se- uh, first half got a little ugly towards the end, second half got much better, a little bit of fire for the New York Jets. It is what it is. 0-10, we are going to talk about this game. We are going to break it down. I want to apologize for missing last week. I wanted to do a bye week special, but I had some personal stuff come up. Had to miss last week's episode, but we are back. In reality, a lot of people aren't even looking for more podcasts on the Jets. We're looking for, let's talk about the future. Let's see what's up. Bye week special. We're going to be talking about a whole lot of losing. Skip that. Come back this week after a loss. Right back to it like we never left. So this one, we're going to talk about the AFC East and the draft standings. Then we're going to do our usual team stats, offense, defense, special teams. We're going to preview next week's game against the Dolphins. And we always got our two fun sections, what's on tap and father time. This time, we're going to switch it up. We're going to do father time first and what's on tap second. Because I think that sometimes father, I think father time is a more substantial segment that has more value to a Jets fan. And I think to kind of bury at the end of the episode between defense and special teams, I don't think it does it enough justice. I think you got to get it in there early while the episode is still fresh. And then potentially some of the content from my dad's ideas read there could be used throughout the episode. I think that I'm going to try doing that. If you got any feedback on whether or not you like it there, switch back. Let me know. But this was recommended to me by a listener, and uh, we're trying it out. So, as always, you can rate. Review, subscribe to this episode anywhere podcasts are found. This is under the Gang Green Nation podcast series title. This is the Jet Life. I appreciate all positive reviews. Appreciate negative reviews. If you got some constructive criticism, perfectly fine. You can also feel free to engage with me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan to talk about anything New York Jets or just see my random opinions throughout the week. I have been slacking on Twitter recently. I think we all get to that point in the season where you get to your kind of floor 
for what your excitement level for the team is. I think that at this point, it's kind of like a sadness knowing the season is coming to an end. It's a sadness of knowing that your team is 0-10. It's, you know, all of that hope and optimism of like, well, you never know what could happen. It's kind of gone. You're playing with these coaches that you don't think are going to be here. You're playing with a lot of one-year contract players you don't think are going to be here. A lot of undrafted rookies just giving them a chance, which is fun. It's nice to see them out there. But there's going to be a lot of moving people from what we're seeing right now. And with Joe Flacco and no Sam Darnold, it's just probably the toughest it's been all year right now to get into this New York Jets team. So I've got a little less opinions than usual, but I'm planning on getting back out there getting back into it, and if we win this upcoming week against the Miami Dolphins, I think that uh, that could inspire a little bit of fire in me again. So that is what I'm looking for. We are going to now check in on the AFC East, where the Bills are the lone division leaders at 7-3. and three. They're playing pretty pretty good football right now. 7-3 and three is like top five team in the entire NFL. Now, they were getting chased. They were getting run down by the Miami Dolphins, who were on a hot streak. Ryan Fitzpatrick had won, I think, two games or so, three games, and they switched to Tua to try to keep their winning streak going, and they were on a hot streak. They got up to 6-3, and three, and all of a sudden they were looking like one of the better teams in the AFC. This past week, Tua Tungavailoa against the Broncos had a horrible game. He got benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. That team loses. The Dolphins go to 6-4. and four. We play them next week, and it's a great sight to see. Tua Tungavailoa is hopefully the guy that's going to answer all their you know, all their prayers, they've been wishing for the Patriots to be taken out from top place in the AFC East for years, just like we all have, and they thought this was their time. They had their quarterback coming in, a guy that potentially could have been a first overall pick before that injury. They get him, he's back healthy, goes on a little winning streak, but this most recent loss this week, I mean, in reality, when you watch that Dolphins team, they've won with him, but they've really done a lot from special teams, from defense. It reminds you a lot of the Mark Sanchez days, when we were winning in 2009, 2010, and we weren't winning because of Mark Sanchez, we were winning in spite of Mark Sanchez. We had a good special teams unit, great offensive line, good running game, and a good defense with some decent coaching at the time as well. We were winning in spite of Mark Sanchez. And I think for the last two weeks that the Dolphins won, they were winning in spite of Tua Tungavailoa. He made a couple nice throws here and there, but he wasn't winning those games. It was that defense and that special teams. This last week, when the special teams and defense don't show up, That's when the Dolphins falter. That's when they can't get much going on offense. So, enough talking about the Miami Dolphins right now. Behind them, the horrible 4-6 New England Patriots. Yes, they beat us, but it was close. And this week, they fall to the Houston Texans. And at this point, at 4-6, they've already got six losses. Best they can do is 10-6. Even with seven teams making it in the AFC, there are, like, a lot of teams. Let's just look really quick at the conference In the AFC, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six teams already with seven wins. And then we've got one, two, three teams with six wins. So we've got nine teams up there at the top. Seven will make it. The Patriots, two games behind that. I mean, right now in the the standings of the entire conference, the Patriots are behind the Broncos. So not a great time to be a Patriots fan. It looks like the fun is over in New England. And they are finally back to reality. Welcome to just mediocre football. I've lived a life of it. Okay, so that is that. We want to talk about the draft standings because a lot of people are interested in getting that first overall pick. And even if you're not, one way or another, we are going to be looking at the draft two months from now pretty heavily. And we are going to be scouting and doing mock drafts and this and that. And we're going to be talking about how we're going to flip this team over. And that pick, wherever it is, is going to be extremely important because that's where you get your Mackay Becton or you get your Quinn and Williams, Jamal Adams, whoever shapes your team. The New York Jets right now at 0-10, they are slated to have the first overall pick. Right behind them, the Jacksonville Jaguars at 1-9. Jake Luton was playing bad quarterback for them. They didn't win, although they were competitive against the Packers. And then they started off with a very short lead against the Steelers that just made you interested enough to think, like, is it possible that they're going to have another good week against a good team? But no, they ended up getting smoked by the Steelers. The Jaguars at 1-9 are the real team that has the ability to take that spot from the New York Jets. Because if the New York Jets win one game and we're both 1-9, it's looking like the Jaguars are going to get that first overall pick. They will have the head-to-head tiebreaker due to strength of schedule, and we'll be picking second. Now behind us is the Cincinnati Bengals. Behind the Jaguars and Jets, 
That third team right now would be the Bengals, who probably, with Joe Burrow's season-ending injury, probably will not win another game this year. But they're 2-7-1. and one. So they've got two wins and that tie. Essentially, the Jets can win two games, and still the Bengals will be picking behind them. So realistically, I don't think you're expecting the New York Jets to win three games this year. You're hoping for one or two, maybe. If you're me, you're saying, I'd love that first overall pick, but not at the expense of going 0-16. So the best thing that you could possibly do is root for the Jaguars every single week because that's the real team. If the Jaguars win this week against the Vikings, then the Jets can win against the Dolphins, and we still pick first. We dodge history and being one of the worst teams of all time. We just go to a 1-15 team that just kind of slides under the radar, forgotten soon, and we get that first overall pick, whether we draft there or trade it for more value. So really, I'm just going hardcore for the Jaguars. Let's go Jaguars. I believe it's possible Gardner Minshew comes back. He definitely gives them a better chance to win. And they do play some winnable games. This week specifically against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are fighting for a spot in the NFC, and they really need to win this game against the Jaguars. But the Jaguars played a good game against the Packers. It's possible with Minshew, even with Luton, that they could give the Vikings some trouble. And this is their big, one of their easiest games in the schedule for the remainder of the season. So we really need to root for the Jaguars this year or this week pretty heavily. Let's go Jaguars. So Jets 0-10 slated for that first overall pick. So now we're going to move over to father time. And it's earlier than we usually do it, but I think it fits. And I think moving forward, this might be the type of thing that we want to have earlier in the episode. Plus, if I do what's on tap later, I'll have more time to enjoy the drink and, you know, maybe some more uh, fire and passion in terms of my opinion of it. So this week's Father Time, written by David Burnham. Here we go. A message to the New York Jets play callers. I'm glad to see that you've taught the NFL to put 10 men in the box in order to stop all the runs up the gut. That has failed miserably for one and a half seasons. Now I know that it was a shock to the NFL with bombs to our newest best friend, Brashad Perriman, burner and catcher. Even if number 19 doesn't catch the ball, sometimes you can get a 40-yard defensive pass interference. Let's face it, the vast majority of drives will be derailed without chunk plays. And lack of chunk plays has led to the Jets being the lowest scoring offense in the NFL. The last two games have made it clear. With our newest wide receiver lineup, things look good in the passing game right now if the right plays are called. Crowder is a top slot receiver and is highly effective with the most touchdowns on the team, even though he's missed games. Mims has come on strong with a beautiful intermediate game, 12 to 25-yard variety. And Perriman can blow the top off a of defense, especially defenses that load the box. And the O-line is starting to give the time needed for these plays. It's time to chuck the ball around. Go Jets. End scene. So thank you, Dad, for this week's Father Time submission. As we can see, he, like a lot of people, is frustrated with the state of the New York Jets' play calling on offense. It's been frustrating to watch. Like he said, running up the middle has become so predictable that teams are just literally stacking the box over and over and making it difficult for guys like Frank Gore, LaMichael Pirine, whoever's in there, Le'Veon Bell when he was, to do anything. Up the gut doesn't work over and over again. One and a half years of seeing it. Now, the last two weeks, like you said, have been two of our best offensive games of the year. Against the Patriots, we threw three touchdowns. Against this Chargers team, we threw two and had four offensive touchdowns. Now, a lot of that was due in part to getting these playmakers back, but you can see this different variety of what guys can do. We know Crowder. He's been on the team for two years now. He's great in the slot. A good 7-yard to 12-yard possession receiver. We've seen Denzel Mims, as my dad says, great in that like 12 to 25 to 30-yard range where it's just deep enough past the sticks. That's the type of stuff that Sam Darnold loves to throw. I think that they would be a great match, the two of them. But getting it to him and being able to stretch the field a little bit and then having Perriman as your guy that can run deep and if eventually some safety comes up or you got guys in the box, you get a one-on-one. Rashad Perriman makes him a nice move, gets the, the right jump on a guy. And when you can get, like we've seen, 50-yard touchdown passes. I mean, this is what we need to see from the Jets team, but we've not seen it enough. I mean, the first half of the game this week, the Jets scored on their first drive with the ball after a blocked punt by Henry Anderson with four rushing plays. A five-yard touchdown by LaMichael Pirine capped it off. After that, we had no completions to any wide receiver. 
We had one completion to Chris Herndon in the first half and one completion to Ty Johnson for zero yards. That's it for the first half. I mean, you got to get these guys involved early, and you have somebody who excels at each one, as my dad's saying. You've got a guy that's good in the slot, quick hands, quick in the slot, easy possession receiver. Jameson Crowder, great for that. Security blanket type of guy. Denzel Mims, right in the middle. You know, he's not going to take the top off of a defense necessarily right now, but he can catch a one-on-one jump ball. He's good for those curls, those comebacks. I'd love to see a little deeper route treat, just more throws in his direction altogether, you know, not counting the stuff at the end of the game where they just huck it there over and over to see what happens. And then Perriman, your guy that can go deep, can scare a team, potentially for screen passes or something if they're giving him a big cushion, worried about him beating them over the top time and time again. I mean, you've got you've got some pieces there. We've had bad playmakers all season for all of Sam Darnold's career, really. We've had bad playmakers right now. This is one of the most complete units, or it should be, that we've had on offense. Chris Herndon should be a valuable athletic tight end. We've got a good offensive line. We have a nice little, you know, one-two punch with Frank Gore and Michael Pirine. It's not that bad. you got a scat guy in Ty Johnson. And then you've got three different style receivers who are all very different and good at different things. It should be easier to formulate a somewhat, you know, complicated or unique offensive strategy tailored to your specific players depending on the team you're going against. But instead... As my dad always says, these guys fall in love with the plays that they want to run. I mean, they're running what they want to run, not based off of who they're playing against. And, you know, this was a great father time. It does get me fired up again because you start thinking about it, and you're like, yeah, you know what? They do all that stuff. They are getting better. that They should be. But the play calling just isn't there. So I appreciate the message to the play callers. They may only be here for six more weeks doing this job, but for crying out loud, there are plenty of ways to do it better. Let's start trying it. We got the horses back there, the best they're going to be this year. It doesn't get better than what we've got right now. So let's see. Adam Gase, Dawa Loggins, anybody on that offensive staff, you want to fight for a job, maybe not with the Jets, but with another team, show us something. Show us something from these guys that you got. Okay, now before we move on, we have to do a quick commercial. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All righty, welcome back. Thank you for joining me here again as we break down the New York Jets' loss, 28-34 to to the Los Angeles Chargers in Los Angeles. We're going to go to team stats in this one and talk about some of the stuff the Jets did well, some of the stuff they did badly. You want to talk about bad stuff? How about getting eight penalties for 88 yards? How about being five for 11 on third downs? That stuff, not what you want to see. 23 minutes, time of possession. Not great. But good stuff for the New York Jets. And this game, again, just one turnover for the team. One interception thrown by Joe Flacco, and that's it. Some other decent stuff for the New York Jets. Only sacked one time. Nine yards lost. That's it. Three for three within the red zone. Wonderful. Every single time they got within the 20, which is three times, they scored on all of them. Nice touchdowns on all three. Beautiful. You love to see it. They actually had 5.3 yards per play, a little better than usual. But still, 292 total yards of offense. Can we break that 300-yard mark? I'd like to be 350, 400. I'd like to have 100 yards of rushing, 300 yards of passing in each game. We're lucky to get 300 yards of total offense, like really lucky this year. This week, 292, a decent offensive showing from the Jets, but I think there's still a lot more to do, a lot more work to be done. Overall, it was a decent game. Overall, we lost this thing by six points. It could have been eight. They took that safety at the end of the game in an attempt to try to take all the time off of the clock. They ended up having to punt after the safety. But you get what Anthony Lynn was doing, trying to play it safe. I mean, they have lost so many close games over his coaching regime that they just could not possibly lose another one. He tried to get creative to make sure they'd win this game. The Jets had an opportunity at the end with one second left. 
punt over to Braxton Berrios. Didn't end up getting it done. But six points is what the final score difference is. And, yeah, it was one of the more competitive games that the New York Jets have played this season in 2020. Again, with Joe Flacco at quarterback. And I know a lot of people are sitting here right now thinking to themselves, is Joe Flacco a better quarterback than Sam Darnold? I say, pump the brakes. No. First of all, both players played without the full playmaking cast this year. With Adam Gase calling plays with backup wide receivers primarily. Currently now it's Dowell Loggins, for the most part, calling plays with the full cast of wide receivers and playing against teams that have two wins like the Chargers, three wins like the Patriots had. Sam Darnold didn't have the opportunity to have Dowell Loggins calling plays with all of the receivers against some of the worst teams in football, in the AFC at least. Not talking about the NFC East right now. Joe Flacco has had the perfect storm of stuff coming together. I can't wait to see Sam Darnold back out here. I don't want to see him thrown back out there for the game against the Rams. A decent, you know, powerful defense that can really give him trouble. Guys like Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey on that team. I want to see him against a team like the Dolphins. Maybe against the Seahawks, who have had a pretty weak defense so far this year. The Raiders even, I'd be fine seeing him up against them. I don't know what the injury is there. I don't know if there's a plan to try to lose games, if they're trying to keep Flacco in here and Adam Gase is the head coach because we'll never possibly win. We can get the first overall pick. I don't know if Sam Darnold's actually injured and we're trying to save him. I don't know if we're trying to keep him healthy right now so that he has higher value when we try to trade him later on. Not sure about any of that. What I know is when I watch football, I want to see Sam Darnold out there, and I think that there are some matchups that would be favorable for him, especially with the cast of characters that he's got around him. I can't wait to see him back out there. That's what I'm hoping for. If it costs us the first overall pick and we can't get Trevor Lawrence and Sam Darnold remains quarterback and we draft a wide receiver like Jamar Chase and some other stuff or we end up trading back or doing something, that is awesome with me. That's perfectly fine. Just don't make me watch, you know, Joe Flacco and Frank Gore just for the entire rest of the season when we've got a guy like Sam Darnold there who I think still has so much to show the NFL. All right, we are going to move over to the offensive side of the ball. And the offense in this game, as we mentioned, was entertaining. First half, not good. We scored on that first drive after we got the blocked punt. After that, we had a very, very bad first half. Second half came out throwing a big old touchdown to Perriman. Had some more touchdowns after that, passing and running. We got some big three and outs forced against the Chargers. We made Kalen Balaj look like Kalen Balaj, which was cool. They were talking, you know, we did the Le'Veon Bell revenge game where Bell came up short. This was the Kalen Balaj revenge game where Balaj came up short. Wonderful. When it came down to it, Justin Herbert played a very, very good game, as all quarterbacks do against the Jets. Joe Flacco, it took him a full half to get going, and six points is your difference. So starting with Joe Flacco, he was only 15 for 30 in this game. 50% completion percentage. 205 passing yards. He did have two touchdowns and that one interception on that pick six. A horrible, this one, if we're talking about Joe Flacco and where he failed us in this game, that pick six to Tavon Campbell was such a lazy throw to Jamison Crowder. Crowder did not break on the ball. He had kind of a lazy route, but the way Flacco just stood back there and just lollipopped it over to him for this easy pick six on their own five-yard line after a great turnover forced by Marcus May. They do that on the very next play. And it got Joe Flacco out of a passing rhythm for the entire rest of the first half and gave the Chargers the lead. So that part was ugly. But when you look at 6.8 yards per attempt, you look at the way in the second half, he started taking shots. I mean, very different play calling first half to second half, which is the opposite of what it's been this year. Usually first half, we come out good. Second half, it all disappears. This game, first half, no receiving yards or even targets for a wide receiver in the first half. And then second half, they're trying to bomb every other play. Could we throw 30 yards downfield to Perriman or Mims basically every play? That's what they were thinking. And it was just like, you know, what clicked the half? Maybe they're trying to prove that they can make halftime adjustments by, like, doing a really exaggerated running offense for the first half and then a really exaggerated deep passing attack for the second half. That way, everybody that's like, oh, this team doesn't make halftime adjustments, they're like, oh, yeah? Well, look what we just did. We almost exclusively ran and then exclusively threw deep. 
All right, you're not fooling anybody. We should have been doing a mixture of both all game long, and it would have been way more successful. We possibly could have won this game. But Joe Flacco sacked just one time, ended up with an 80 quarterback rating, which is actually pretty solid. We had two passing touchdowns, and I want you to remember that this year we had like five or something three weeks ago on the entire season. And now we've got five in the last two weeks, and Joe Flacco is getting these receivers involved. That's nice. It's good to see that. But still, just 15 completions on 30 attempts. So still not a big enough pie to go around to see all these people. Joe Flacco played an all right game. Sam Darnold would have played better. He wouldn't have hit those deep balls the same, but he would have had more than 15 completions in this game. It's just what I think. Going over to the running game, Frank Gore was given his big old allotment of carries, as Adam Gase and company love to do. Now, LaMichael Piron is actually playing pretty well. Eight carries for 33 yards on a 4.1 yard per carry average. He had that touchdown. He had an 11-yarder, but he got banged up. He got injured in this game, came out, gave more carries to Frank Gore. I think it was anticipated by the coaching staff to be, in my mind, a little bit closer to 50-50. But it ended up being 15 for Frank Gore, 8 for Piron due to that injury. And it looks like, unfortunately, right now, LaMichael Piron will be going to IR short-term for the next three weeks. So he will probably be missing... The Raiders, the Dolphins, and the, what was the other game? Raiders, Dolphins, and the Seahawks. You're probably going to miss all three of those games, potentially coming back against the Rams, the Browns, and the Patriots. That's best-case scenario for a Michael P. run. Now, when it comes to that, the other guy that you want to see thrown in there is Ty Johnson because he's got that shifty scat-back ability. Now, it's probably going to be a big, healthy dose of Frank Gore because he's the guy that can run up the middle, and they love to do that. Ty Johnson's not great at that. Ty Johnson's more of like a weapon utility player. The Jets don't have any creativity, so it makes it kind of tough to use him. But they brought Josh Adams back up. He's been a member of the Jets here and there. Practice squad guy, played some for us. He's all right. Just not a ton to evaluate there. I think that running back is a position they're going to have to address next year in the draft. But Frank Gore, 15 carries, 61 yards. He got a touchdown in this game. His first touchdown as a Jet. It's nice to see. I mean, Frank Gore is a future Hall of Famer. And when he's got some decent stats, the New York Jets, I don't know. I mean, we're an 0-10 team. There's a lot to be really cynical about when you look at everything that's happened so far this year. But Frank Gore having a somewhat relevant season for him is kind of exciting. Right now, 447 yards with a touchdown. It's not like his time has been wasted here, and this was just his little last leg to get that extra 70 yards like Emmett Smith did at the end of his career. It's actually... A pretty impactful season, 3.6 yards per carry, which is not impressive, but it's not pitiful. And he's got 447 yards, one touchdown, thanks to this game, and he's been healthy all year long. He's a guy that you can rely on to hold on to the football and play whenever you need him to, which is a lot if you're Adam Gase and company. A 14-yarder in this game was almost as long as the season. I believe as long as it's 15 but 15 carries for 61 yards is a solid game for Frank Gore. The whole total offense ends with 96 rushing yards, 4.0 yards per carry, and two rushing touchdowns. This was arguably our best rushing attack of the entire season. Would have been nice to see LaMichael Pirine finish the game, but his 33 yards and his touchdown were very exciting to see. Moving over to the receivers. As my dad mentioned, we've got... Three good receivers right now. A short ball guy, Jamison Crowder, who only had one catch for 16 yards. Remember, Joe Flacco had 15 completions, so the pie is small. You've got your medium guy, Denzel Mims. Three receptions, 71 yards, averaging 23 yards per play. And you've got your deep ball guy, Brashad Perriman. Two catches, 54 yards, and that touchdown. It's a nice contrast of players, and together in this game, they combined for almost... 150 yards and got a touchdown. And in a game where the passing attack was obsolete for the entire first half, it ended with some pretty decent totals. Now let's start with Denzel Mims. He is my offensive player of the game. His first one ever. I've wanted to give it to him every single week because I've been so impressed with what he's done. To me, he looks like he's about to become an elite receiver. He's just at a Bad offense with bad game planning and a quarterback that doesn't really know how to use him yet in his first year. We always say wide receivers take a long time to come along in the NFL, but the things that you can see from Denzel Mims are clear. 
He's got great ball tracking ability. He can make those crazy catches. He can get two feet in. He does that extra stuff. That stuff that New York Jets receivers don't really do in my lifetime. Keyshawn Johnson, Santonio Holmes maybe. Some guys can make some miraculous plays. Denzel Mims looks like one of those guys. He's got that X factor. Now in this game, he wasn't targeted early on. He ended up with three receptions for 71 yards, and all three of them were awesome catches. The two on the right side of the field specifically because they were two plays that potentially could have been overturned if the plays weren't rushed, but it looked from both of them like he got perfect possession and two feet in right on the sideline, and he's done this time and time again this year. With only like 15 catches on the season, he's actually making these incredible plays, and they're all downfield. They're not like one, two-yard gains. Substantial, 23 yards per catch. He had two forced defensive pass interferences that were very big. And by the end of the game, Joe Flacco trusted him so much, he was basically throwing him a bomb on third down, fourth down, and so on to end the game, hoping that Denzel Mims could make another one of those miraculous plays. Now, the throws weren't there. He was being tightly covered. The defense knew to guard him. He ended up with eight targets in this game. So when you look at the receptions to targets ratio, you're thinking, not super efficient. But the catches he made were super impressive. 71 yards is his career high, and he is getting better and better every single week. Denzel Mims is absolutely a guy that I can't wait to continue watching for the remainder of his Jets career. I think it's going to be a long one if he can stay healthy. I don't know if he's going to be the number one receiver for forever or what the scoop is, but this guy is going to be, he's just, he's the best receiver that we've drafted since Keyshawn Johnson, in my opinion. That'd be better than a Santana Moss or anybody else you can think of. Brashad Perriman, he's the other guy. He had a lot of activity last week. Everyone was talking about his big game in the deep balls. This week, he gets another 49-yarder. Tracked the ball nicely in the air. Got a touchdown in the end zone. That was a great play to start up the second half. He ends with two catches, 54 yards. 27-yard average because that one catch was 49 yards. The other was a five-yarder. Good game from Perriman because that's what you want from him. He's not Jamison Crowder. He doesn't get 12 catches for 85 yards in a touchdown. What he's supposed to get is three catches, two catches for 50, 60 yards and a big, deep ball touchdown. That's perfect from him. I like to see that. The other guy, Jamison Crowder, not targeted much. Ever since Sam Darnold stepped out and Joe Flacco came in, Jamison Crowder has become kind of an afterthought in the offense, which is interesting because when Sam Darnold's out there, it's just feed Crowder, feed, feed, feed. And I get it. Mims wasn't there for any of those games. And Perriman... Minimally was there, but it just felt like the game plan was just get it to Crowder. And now with Mims and Perriman, it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. He had less targets than both of those guys. He had less targets than Ty Johnson, for crying out loud, half of them. He had three targets, one catch for 16 yards. So we'll see if Jameson Crowder can get back. If Sam Darnold comes back, I would be, I would not be surprised to see Jameson Crowder become a focal point of the offense again. But as long as Joe Flacco's out there, I think it's going to remain kind of a Mims and Perriman combo. And we talked about Ty Johnson. He had four catches, 17 yards. Nothing super spectacular there. Frank Gore, two catches for 10 yards. P. Ryan had a target, didn't get a catch. Um, Jeff Smith had one catch, five yards. The guy that we need to talk about is the man that you want in the doghouse, Chris Herndon, a tight end who has been so horrible for the New York Jets this year, it's absurd. We had great hopes for him coming in to this season after he missed all of last season due to a bunch of BS time and time again. He comes back this year and he was like, he's that guy, that X factor of the offense. And the, ho the hopes were so high from Jets Nation on Chris Herndon. He has been so freaking bad for the entire season. He has gotten Doghouse Player of the Week every single week except for one. And if I could redact it and give it to him, I would because he played like dog shit in that game too. On the entire season, he's got 16 catches for 133 yards. And I know what you're thinking like, well, that's not so bad. He's played in every single game. He gets the lion's share of tight end snaps every single week. He gets targeted every single week. He's got, I don't know how many fumbles on the season, two lost fumbles already on 16 catches. And honestly, that touchdown came this week. This was his best game of the season by far. In this game, he had a 26-yarder, which was the best play on offense of the first half other than the rushing touchdown. And he had another catch that was actually pretty athletic as well in the end zone for a touchdown. And for the first time all season, you saw why the New York Jets wanted Chris Herndon and what he can do in this offense. Now, he was not 
a big factor. They weren't throwing to him a ton. He had three targets in this game. The one that he didn't catch was a drop that was right off of his mitts, and you were like, oh, here we go, right back to doghouse. But the next two were what you want to see from him. And listen, nothing can take away how bad he was for the first nine games the Jets played this year. But if he can start building, end of this season, we got six more games. This was a decent one because he had two. They were impressive catches. They were. One touchdown, 32 yards for him, his best game of the year. If he can build off of it, start to get some confidence back, he does have some ability, and that's what we're hoping to see. I'm not saying that he's going to be the number one tight end for the next five years like I at one point maybe thought he would be, but could he be what Ryan Griffin was for us last year, You know, the number two tight end that has some ability? Right now, Ryan Griffin is basically useless. He didn't have a target. He plays 45% of snaps, doesn't even get a target in this game. Chris Herndon still playing 60-plus percent of snaps. If we can see a little bit more from him, it's helpful for the remainder of his career. He is still on a rookie contract. He's not getting paid very much. It would be beneficial for the New York Jets to be able to hold on to him to keep that contract and replace a guy like potentially Trevon Wesco or Daniel Brown, who've been on the roster. But he's got to show you some. And this week, believe it or not, he did. So he is not in the doghouse this week. Feels crazy to say. It's crazy to say. The O-line, I'm happy with the O-line. They gave up one sack. Really good. Makai Becton was dominant. He was crushing Joey Bosa. In fact, they were particularly running at Joey Bosa on the first drive of the game where they ran four times, ended up with a touchdown. They were running right behind Becton. They were running right at Joey Bosa, and it was a thing of beauty. After that, Joey Bosa basically switched to the opposite side to go up against George Fant. And the New York Jets started running up the middle more, and things started getting a little weird. They ran for 96 yards. Like we said, it was one of their best rushing attacks of the season. They had two rushing touchdowns. They gave up one sack. Overall, this offensive line is coming together. Alex Lewis should be replaced. Greg Van Roten is getting better and better every week with this team. George Fant's been okay. And Connor McGovern is solid in here for a while. So I can't be too upset with what I'm seeing out there. Keep it up, offensive line. Joe Douglas is building this thing the right way. He does still have one more elite guard to add, maybe a tackle, but uh, we're getting there. So that is our offense. Before we go over to the defense, we are going to do a quick commercial. All righty, everybody, and welcome back. We are going to talk defense in this game. The New York Jets lose to the Chargers 28-34. to Starting with the defensive line, Quinn Williams is back. He had a pretty solid game. He had half a sack in this one. Right now he's sitting at three and a half sacks, which is actually pretty solid for him if he can end with four and a half, five and a half. That's pretty good for an interior defensive lineman that doesn't have much else on the sides of him to make an offense worried. You know, Quinn Williams is definitely a focal point in game planning and scheming against the New York Jets. And still, if he could pull out a couple more sacks this year, I think I would be impressed with the way that he not only stopped the run this year, but got after the quarterback. So good game from him. He's playing 60% plus of snaps. Foley Fadakasi, he had another good game. He's playing, you know, 40% or so of snaps. With Steve McClendon gone, he's getting a little bit more time, and he's doing well with it. He had six tackles in this game, one and a half tackles for a loss. Good game from Foley. Happy to see what we're getting from him. The rest of the defensive line, Henry Anderson. He had his most impactful defensive game of the season thus far. Five tackles. He had half a sack. Getting back after the quarterback. He had a nice tackle for a loss in the backfield on the running back in the first quarter. Quarterback hit. I mean, Henry Anderson has been basically silent this year. And ever since we gave him that big contract, he's been not that good. This has by far been his worst year with the New York Jets. And this was his best game. Defensive line standout at times. Another guy that we were looking at in this one on the defensive line, Nathan Shepard. He only played 20% of snaps. He's been inactive for a handful of games this year. And he was one of those guys that when he made a play in this game, you thought to yourself real quick, who is that? Who's number 97? I'm not familiar. That's Nathan Shepard. There he is. The long forgotten soldier of the defensive line that has had very little impact since becoming a New York Jet. And in this game, he gets after the quarterback and he comes out with half a sack. So, you know. It was really his only involvement in this one, but like I said, he played 20% of snaps, so what do you expect? 
quiet game from Zaniga. Haven't seen anything from him yet since coming. He's played three games now. He's done basically nothing so far. John Franklin Myers, quiet game from him. Bryce Huff, quiet game from him. But the rest of the defensive line, the guys that we talked about already first, were pretty solid. And when it came down to it, you know, we went up against the big Kalen Balazs revenge game. Kalen Balazs had 16 carries, 44 yards, 2.8 yards per carry for Kalen Balazs. He had seven catches on nine targets for 27 yards. So this guy was given the ball 23 times and had like 65 total yards. Kalen Balazs, a non-factor. We took him out of the game. Great work for the Jets. The team, if you look at the Chargers, you're like, did we stop their run well? Well, they only had 29 total yards of rushing offense. You think to yourself, wow, that's a really good defensive performance. Ty Long, punter for the Chargers, ran minus 28 yards on one play. So add 28 onto that. They had about 55 yards of rushing offense. Still, not a good performance from them. Justin Herbert threw 366 yards and three touchdowns, so he didn't really need to hand the ball off all that much. I think game plan was attack the soft zones on the Jets. You'll be fine. But good work from the defensive line. The linebackers, they're getting a little weird because Patrick Unwasor is coming back. He played like 10% of snaps, hardly noticed on the field. Hager's playing some snaps. He's not been mentioned at all. He's played like three or four games here and there, a handful of snaps, and has done nothing with us. We're trying to move in the standout defensive player of the game last week, Harvey Lange, trying to see him more. He had an all right game, 11 tackles. That's about it. I mean, he made a couple nice plays on the side, uh, got after the running backs and the swing passes, so that was good to see, but he wasn't quite as, I don't know if the word is dominant, but what he was against the Patriots. He wasn't quite at that level. But you're seeing Basham and Luvu and Jenkins and just trying to see somebody get after the quarterback. And in this game, the Jets actually had 13 tackles for a loss and three sacks. We greatly outproduced the Chargers in that aspect of the game. The Chargers had one sack, two and a half tackles for a loss as a team. We had 13 tackles for a loss, tons of negative yardage play. And that's what kept the Jets in this game, especially when the offense couldn't get much going. I'm not going to say this offense or this defense had a great performance because we gave up 34 points, I guess technically 28 points or 27 points uh, if you take away the pick six. But 13 tackles for a loss, they were making plays. Jordan Jenkins had two and a half of them. He had half a sack. You had a tackle for a loss from Frankie Luvu. You had one from Basham. You had one from Neville Hewitt. I mean, these guys were getting after it. So that was really good to see. Another weird part, the weirdest part of this entire defense right now specifically is the defensive backfield because we are missing a bunch of guys. LaShawn Austin, currently on IR, not playing. Brian Poole, currently on IR, nickel, not playing. Pierre Desir, up and down, feast or famine quarterback, cornerback for the Jets, cut, not playing. Starting safety, Bradley McDougald, not playing. So who do you throw in there? Well, we knew we had a, a pretty shallow secondary to begin with. You start rookie Bryce Hall. You start Arthur Mollette in the slot. You start... Lamar Jackson, cornerback on the other side. And then you play a little bit of, you know, Matthias Farley mixes in and Javelin Guidry mixes in. And it's just not a group of guys that you're super impressed with. Safeties, I think, a little better. Marcus May, Ashton Davis, you feel okay going to war with them. But when you've got an undrafted rookie in Lamar Jackson starting on one side and a fifth-round pick who missed most of last season playing starting wide receiver on the opposite side, and you're going up against guys like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, that's a tough recipe. That's a tough recipe. I actually think they did an all right job. Don't get me wrong, Keenan Allen torched us. But in reality, the way that he did it, 16 catches, 145 yards, and his touchdown, Keenan Allen was finding the soft spot of the zone, that middle of the field, the same spot this Tampa 2 defense Greg Williams runs gives up basically every single time. It's somewhere right between Ashton Davis and Neville Hewitt that every team just loves to throw the ball. It wasn't a ton on the outsides. Now, there was a nice, big, long play to Tyron Johnson that was covered by Neville Hewitt for 54 yards. Mike Williams had a big 39-yarder. But other than that, it was some short dink-and-dunk type stuff. Soft zone, these players. I wasn't I wasn't super unimpressed with what I saw from Bryce Hall 
or Lamar Jackson. Some tackling was decent. When you're looking at it like a game like this where you're playing a Tampa 2 with backup cornerbacks against a good passing team, the stuff that would be really bad to see from your cornerbacks would be bad penalties, totally out of position, missed assignments, and bad tackling. We didn't see any of that. What we saw was decent tackling, guys kind of just being in their zones, not playing, uh, you know, not making obvious mistakes. And that's what we got. So I'll say decent job by them. Arthur Mollett had a sack in this game. He also had a couple blown coverages here and there. Arthur Mollett was up and down. The sack was nice, but his coverage was pretty bad, in my opinion. I think he was the worst of the of the cornerbacks. But, you know, it's tough to evaluate when a guy goes 37 for 49 for 366 yards and you're playing a Tampa 2 with backup cornerbacks. Going over to the safeties, you're wondering, Dan, when are you going to give out defensive player of the game? We haven't heard about that yet. <laughs> well, we just arrived there. And I wanted to give it to Marcus May, and I wanted to give it to Ashton Davis. So for the first time this year, I'm doing a hybrid split, half defensive player of the game for each, one full defensive player of the game for the safety position. Now, Marcus May earned it early on with a nice forced fumble on the five-yard line that potentially could have stopped the Chargers from scoring, but they got the pick six right after. So they got points, but Marcus May making the big only turnover forced by the Jets in this game. Also had a really nice pass deflection later on, but he had some mistakes here and there. When you look at Ashton Davis, no, he wasn't perfect in this game. The soft spot of the zone right in front of him was targeted time and time again, but he actually led the team in tackles. He had a tackle for a loss, a really nice tackle for a loss, and he was all over the field. He wasn't making huge plays, but he was there. He was making the tackles. He was getting back into the backfield. And he was trying to cover guys on the back end of the defense. And his presence was felt. And I think that between the two guys, you know, Ashton Davis was consistently around all game long. And Marcus May made those those two plays. I think that was our best position group of this game. And it's weird. But there wasn't a guy to me that deserved like, hey, this was the guy that was our defensive player of the game. He really stood out big time. It was just the safeties for us showed up in this one. So both of them get half a defensive player of the game. Unorthodox? Maybe. But necessary. So we are going to move over to the special teams. But before we do that, we got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. Today's what's on tap is a boring one. It is now daylight savings time. Currently November 24th. Dark as shit. And when I come home from a cold, dark day at work, what do I want? I want a little red wine. So I've got a cup here of boxed Boda Box Pinot Noir. I am a boxed wine person for a few reasons. One, cost-effective. Two, I don't think they're all that bad. And three, you get a lot of them, and they're just nice to just be able to squirt, pour a glass like that, pour a cup here, pour a cup there. You don't have to, like, pop a bottle and then feel like, oh, we got to finish it, or you got this little bit left over. Have as much as you want. You want to have one sip? Have a sip. You want to have the whole box? Go for it. You can do whatever you want. It's your box. Now, fiance Shannon was looking into it because we've been getting these boxes. We usually get the black box, and she was like, I want to see if there's a best box on the market. Who is known for having the best red wine box? Boda Box, apparently, from her research, case studies, whatever she did, came up as the winner. So now I am drinking Boda Box Pinot Noir. And you know what? It's just fine. It's calming. It's it's Pinot Noir. It's a good, it's thinner. I like it more than a cab because it's a little thinner. It's not too sweet, and I can't complain. So, boxed red wine season. Let's go. And now, before we go to special teams, we're going to do a commercial. All righty, welcome back. We are going to talk special teams of the Jets. And in this game, we got some players now. We've been giving it to the same sort of guys week in, week out for special teams player of the game. But this week, I got a mind blower. Your special teams player of the game. I'm going to start right there. Number 96, Goose Henry Anderson for his incredible blocked punt to get this game started the right way. To get the ball to the New York Jets on like the 24-yard line where we could just run four times and score a touchdown. All started by Henry Anderson, who a couple years ago was known on the New York Jets for tipping field goals, blocking punts, just getting his hands up there, blocking lanes. He's been silent this year, and to see him show up in this game, that could have been the difference in a win or a loss in a different season where the team was better. 
Great play by Henry Anderson. The potentially biggest non-offensive play of the entire game. So for that, Henry Anderson pulls special teams player of the game. Now the other guys, we're talking field goal kicker. Sam Ficken comes back from IR, replacing Sergio Castillo, who had done a wonderful stand-in job. Ficken comes back, gets four extra point opportunities, misses two of them. He now goes to IR, Castillo is coming back, and Ficken will not be missed. I think it was clear from Sergio Castillo's time kicking for us that he was better, more reliable, more reliable from deep than Sam Ficken. I think Ficken was having an all right year. He was. He was making most of his kicks, but he wasn't tested. We talked about it time and time again. He wasn't kicking game winners. He wasn't kicking 50-plus yarders. He wasn't kicking time-expiring kicks or anything like that. It was just 35-yarder, 39-yarder, and he's making them. That's great. Castillo came in and was making real kicks. And Ficken comes back, misses two extra points. He's on IR right now, they say. I don't know for what. Bruised ego, hurt feelings. Castillo's back in. I welcome him. Good to have that guy back. The better field goal kicker of the team. Braden Mann, he punted four times, two inside the 20. Decent game from him. The return game was quiet. Three kickoff returns by Braxton Berrios. Longest was 28. Average 20 yards. He had one uh, punt return that was really nice, 16-yarder. So that's good to see. That's one of his, probably one of his career longs because... He's not a bad punt returner. He's actually a pretty good punt returner, but he's not known for taking 70 yarders to the house. He's known for, like, he gets his 15 yards. He gets his 12 yards. Where you think you're going to start at the 30? Oh, you're starting at the 45 because Braxton Barrios made a couple nice moves. So good game from him. That's our special teams. The big takeaway in this one is everybody's just fine at their job except for Ficken, who now, because of injury, is forced to not play, and the right guy moves up. It should be. And I lobbied for it hard in the offseason. I don't know who's not getting my messages. I was lobbying for Rodrigo Blankenship, who ended up going undrafted. I thought that he should have gone in the seventh round instead of going Quincy Wilson in that trade to the Colts. Could have drafted Rodrigo Blankenship, who's one of the better kickers in the league this year. But I guess they didn't want to do that. They wanted Quincy Wilson, who has since been cut, and Sergio Castillo, ficken combo. So that's our special teams. Before we close this thing out, we're going to do a quick preview of the Miami Dolphins game. The New York Jets play the Miami Dolphins next week. The Dolphins are currently 6-4, and four, coming off a loss to the Denver Broncos, where Tua Tungavailoa got benched for the first time in three starts for Ryan Fitzpatrick due to an inability to really get anything going. This week's game is going to take place on November 29th at 1 p.m. on CBS. Now, if you want to talk about what specifically Tua Tungavailoa did that was so bad. Last week, he had 20 passing attempts, 11 completions. So right there, you're like, all right, that's not horrible. What, 55%? 83 passing yards, 4.2 yards per attempt. He was sacked six times and read the field horribly. In that first half, three quarters of the game where he was playing, he wasn't getting anything going, and there were no big plays at all. The second they went to Ryan Fitzpatrick and benched him, Ryan Fitzpatrick moved the ball downfield. In less throws, 18 versus 20 for Fitzpatrick. He went 12 for 18, 117 yards. Now he threw an interception at the end of the game that lost it for them, but it was clear that Tua Tungabailoa, the reason that he got benched was he was lacking the ability to move downfield. You've seen those quarterbacks for the Jets. You've seen Mark Sanchez unable to move it downfield. You've seen guys like Bryce Petty where it's like, why don't we take a shot? Why can't we get it there? Right now, Dolphins fans are feeling the exact same thing from Tua. Why can't he get it downfield? Why can't he find a player past the first down marker? Why does it have to be a flat to the tight end or a dump off to the running back or a short curl for six yards to a receiver? Because right now, that's the only thing he's comfortable doing in the NFL. That doesn't mean that he won't get comfortable doing other stuff, throwing deeper, further intermediate and deep routes later on. But it means that right now, it's trouble for him. Now, there is no team that is the, like, you know, just what the doctor ordered more than the New York Jets. Their defense, with their Tampa 2, soft zone, we talk about it every week, their backup cornerbacks, Brian Poole still out, Desir off the team, LaShawn Austin still out. You're going to be going up against three backups in a soft defense to begin with, even when all your starters are there. This is just what the doctor ordered for Tua to get back on track. Coach Brian Flores of the Dolphins has already said that Tua is going to remain the starter. But this is one of those games I would love 
to make this guy uncomfortable. I don't want to end his career in terms of an injury, but I want to make the Dolphins regret drafting him. I want to make them realize, I want the fan base, I want the team to know that they aren't going anywhere in the future because they've got this guy at quarterback and they've potentially sunk one, two, three years of their team into a guy that's not worth it. I don't think we could throw him that all in one game, but against a rival like the Dolphins, that's what you want to see. And it might sound vicious right now, like, whoa, oh, Dan, that's some dark stuff you're hoping for. But you know what? When you're competing for a division with these teams, those are the types of things that you think. And right now we're 0-10, so it's like, oh, who cares about the Dolphins? It's nice they're having a good season. And the Bills, oh, look good for them. No, one day we are going to be competitive and we're going to be trying to beat these teams up and these are going to be the teams standing in our way. And it's going to be to us specifically looking at the Jets saying, I'm going to beat you today and keep you away from being happy. So he's the guy that needs to fail. Not Nothing against him as the person. He just, he's wearing the wrong jersey. So I really look forward to in his comeback game, what did he learn from being benched? What can they cook up against the soft Jets defense? And can he get back on track? Or is it more of the same? Is it more just like, wow, we got some serious tool problems here? That's what we're hoping for. And they got a tough running game there. They're missing a bunch of their guys. I mean, even Miles Gaskin's out right now. They're playing like Salvan Ahmed. And I think he got a little banged up in this game. They got Matt Breida, who's not getting a ton of carries and hasn't been super successful for them. So tough going there. And then, you know, we've played this team already. So we've seen Devontae Parker. We've seen Jakeem Grant. Those are the big guys in their wide receiver game. Tight ends have had some success against us. Mike Jasicki, that guy Smythe. He had a couple uh, good plays when we played against him the first time. But especially if you've got a guy like Tua, who's not really throwing the ball deep downfield, there's not a ton to be worried about, except for probably Devontae Parker. That's the offensive side of the ball. Now keep in mind, Tua got sacked six times in his half a game. So it's very possible that the Jets can get some good pressure on him if he plays again. That's what I'd love to see. Now, the Broncos have a decent pass rush. I don't think we're the Broncos in terms of a defense. But if we can get after him, make him uncomfortable, that's definitely going to help. Now, defensively, the Dolphins are a good defensive team. We talked about how they were on a winning streak before. We talked about who was stepping up for them. It was defense. It was special teams, primarily. And Brian Flores, an old defensive coordinator for the Patriots, we are very familiar with him. He's a good defensive coach and a good leader, and he's got this team playing good football in other facets than just, you know, just the offense. It's not built like that. Xavier Howard, I believe he's tied for the league lead in interceptions. He finds a way to pick off the Jets every single time we play them, it feels like. They got Byron Jones, who's the UConn cornerback I really wanted to get in the offseason. And they've got a guy who's getting after the quarterback this year. Emmanuel Agba has eight sacks on the season. He's one of your league leaders in sacks. Other than that, it's basically sack by committee. Not too much more coming from other players, especially not on the defensive line. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Mekhi Becton and company have good success. Just really got to focus on Emmanuel Agba. Double team him if you have to. Make sure that he's not the guy that gets through. Really hoping, really hoping that it's Sam Darnold in this game. Would love to see him play with Mims for the first time. Mims is like my favorite player in the entire offense other than Becton. It's Becton, it's Mims, and it's Darnold. And I haven't seen them all three on the field at the same time. And I'd love to see that this week. So that would be awesome. I'm trying to see what the spread is in this game. I don't think it's uh let me see if I can find the spread. Because the Jets have been like double-digit underdogs in basically every single game this season. In the last two weeks, we've actually beaten the spread this week as well. So two in a row, we got a bit of a streak going. And potentially, coming up against the Dolphins, we can do the same thing. Currently, the team is slated to lose the game by... Seven points. So I think the Jets can do better than a seven-point loss to the Dolphins. In fact, with Tua and what he's been doing, if the defense and special teams don't show up for the Dolphins against the Jets, which they very, very easily could, I think that we could play very competitive football against the Dolphins and potentially win this game. Now, if you're worried about winning a game, let's watch the Jaguars play the Vikings and see if they win that game. Because if they do, it's all right that we beat the Dolphins. We basically take them out of the playoffs. We win a game. We dodge history of being one of the worst teams of all time. We get something to be excited about. And it's sushi week. It's freaking, it's dolphin sushi week. I always eat sushi with dad and roommate Kyle. 
Never the Jets, but the Dolphins. Usually, fiance Shannon hears those sushi, so she comes along too. Those are the very few games she watches: Buffalo Wings Week and Dolphins Sushi Week. She's always there, so potentially a big squad of four. Can't have any more than four. There's only so many optimal viewing seats. But that's what we're looking at. That's what we see going in. Miami Dolphins this week. Can the New York Jets go 1-10? Or will they drop to 0-11 and continue their path to one of the worst teams in NFL history? That and so much more coming up on the next episode of This Is The Jet Life. As always, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere they're found. Gang Green Nation podcast, series title, This Is The Jet Life, and follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Until next week, let's go Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 